The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Messages of Hope. This week, I'm coming to you from Sun Valley, Idaho, but I'm getting ready to head out to the Omega Institute to lead a workshop there, which I'm just so pleased about, teaching people how to connect across the veil. I wanted to share with you, before I bring in my wonderful guest today, an email I got from one of our listeners. This woman was heading overseas for a very challenging task. Both of her parents had passed in the last couple of months. And she had to go clean out their apartment of all their belongings, both at the same time. They were married almost 70 years. So as she wrote to me, you can imagine the task that faced her. And her brother let her know that before she got there, he had to disconnect the Internet server. So what she did, which really surprised me, she said she downloaded all of the Messages of Hope radio show archived shows to her tablet and listened to them the whole time she was cleaning out the apartment. She said, the comfort of listening to my voice and to the content of the messages while sifting through everything was palpable and so uplifting. That just touched my heart and showed me that we're doing what we wanted to do on this show, which is to show all of you that death is not the end, that you have reason to have hope when your loved ones cross the veil, and hopefully we move you from hope to knowing. That is exactly what I hope to do with my guest today. Dr. Julie Beischel is with us and ready to share with us about her probably by now more than 15 years of scientific research with psychic mediums and what her discoveries teach us about dying, death, and what comes next. Dr. Beischel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's an honor. I've been reading your reports. I've been reading your emails for years now because I've followed your work. In fact, I, I went online several years ago when you were testing mediums only to find out that you you are no longer testing mediums. Uh, and I know that a part of that reason is funding. And we want to let people know that all of your research depends on funding from the general public. But let's start with talking about you. Uh, give us a little bit of your background. I know you have, you're have you a scientist for sure with a PhD, but tell us more about yeah. you. So, yeah, I, I w- I've always been a scientist. Like, I won the science award in my eighth grade class. Like, I was the, the most sciencey 
Um, and, uh, and then I got an undergrad degree in environmental sciences, and then uh, I got a PhD in pharmacology and toxicology with a minor in microbiology and immunology. And so my training is uh, classical science, and it, with pharmacology, it's a clinical trial, right? It's like the benchmark test you do in pharmacology. And uh, so then I took that, I took that training in these interdisciplinary sciences, and science is just a set of tools. It's not a, it's not a knowledge base. It's not a set of facts. It's a, it's a tool. And hmm. so then you can apply that tool to any question. It's a tool for answering questions. So with that training, I can uh, use that tool to answer questions about anything, about mediumship, about psychic ability. So um, through a, a series of events, like the universe handed me to mediumship, and that's what I've been doing, yeah, for more than 15 years. Well, I love how you put that. The universe you know, led you there. The universe led you there. Now, that doesn't sound very scientific, and I say that totally <laughs> lovingly and under with understanding because everybody that's listening to this show knows that uh, you know we can call it whatever we want but there is some kind of guiding intelligence and do do you are you up to sharing with us how you were led to mediumship um i in my book uh among mediums it's an ebook and then it's published in the paperback collection uh, it's called Investigating Memes. I tell the whole story, but I can briefly tell you that when I was in graduate school, uh, my mom committed suicide. And a few years after, like, the initial grief and, like, the initial shock and that sort of thing, then that was about the time that John Edwards' Crossing Over show was real big. And so I saw that, and I never heard of a medium. I didn't know what that was, but... It looked real, and the people looked genuinely moved, and the information seemed specific. And I thought, well, it's a TV show. I'm a scientist. I would have to check it out for myself. And so I got a local, a reading from a local medium, and I had, like, I'd found in a bookstore a book called The Naked Quack, and it's written by a psychic about how um, con artists, psychics can, you know, the different scams they run. And there was a chapter at the very end about how mediums can um, take advantage of people. And so I, I knew I knew a little bit about what cold reading was. And um, so I, I went to my appointment, like, with that sort of in the back of my head and trying to be a, uh, a stalwart scientist. And uh, and the, it was an in-person reading, and the woman opened the door, and uh, I said, oh, I have that skirt. And then I was like, oh, no, I've revealed everything about myself. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like kicking myself and then I, I calmed down and then we went through the reading and, um, and it was enough. Again, I didn't know anything about any of this and it was enough for me to go to think something happened here that cannot be explained in the, in the traditional scientific paradigm in the way that we think the world works. This couldn't have happened, but I was here and it did. And so I went back to school and I told people about it, other people who were scientists and also never had any of these kind of experiences and never heard of what a medium was. And most people, like the scientists, said, I, I don't know anything about that, but it sounds like you had a really interesting experience. But a couple people said, nah, those are all con artists and frauds. You got duped. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, no, I was there. That's not what happened. I right. I was very careful about what I said. And uh, so that, I have, I'm a Libra, so I have a very strong sense of justice. I won't say so, I do, but I know who I'm talking to. So uh, those two things are true. I am a Libra, and I do have a very strong sense of justice. Let's say it like that. And so that made me very angry that there were people in the world dismissing mediums as a group just in full just every single one of them is a con artist and I was like no um I need to bring this in the lab and I need to look at this and the universe like heard me think that and was like here you go let us open all these doors and now Mm -hmm. here is your path and now this is what you're going to do with the rest of your life and so I was like okay here I am wow I love that that you know you had this personal experience because it took you from being scientist, technical, this is my speaker, to a real person. We can identify with your pain. So many of us have been there and and we understand that 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 fear of being vulnerable and taken advantage of, but yet you brought your scientific mind to it. So you said your your future opened up to you, yet you were in graduate school when this happened. Were you working on a master's or a PhD at that time? A PhD. My PhD is uh, so specialized that you don't doesn't require a master's. Okay. So it go, you go right from your bachelor's degree to the PhD program. So I was getting my PhD. And yeah, it was weird things like I'm super type A and super, you know, I make lists of everything and I plan everything. And I was pretty close to get being done with my mm. dissertation. And I had no plans. I had oh. no I had no idea what I was going to do when I graduated. And so I was open. I was available to like go on this, uh, in this other direction. Wow. So so, weird. So tell us about some of the doors that opened. Well, it was kind of of doors that closed too. So um, I did a postdoctoral fellowship at the U of A that was funded by like one kind gentleman who uh was just interested in this topic and 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 was a scientist like me he's actually an engineer which is like a little uh stricter and uh thinking wise in general and so he was like let's look at this and so we funded a postdoctoral fellowship that i did in the psychology department at the university of arizona and then uh uh got you know learned a lot right i was coming at all of this as a novice like so i learned a lot um, we published an a, a accuracy testing um, journal article, and then he was like, I'm out of money. So that was the end of that fellowship. It was four and a half years. Just, oh, wow. Like just this one man funded my postdoctoral fellowship for so four and a half years. So for four and a half years, you, you got to do university-level research into mediumship. Yeah. Funded. Yeah. What a gift. Wow. Yeah, I know. So then – that was over now. So now what am I going to do? And so I tried to find other positions at the university. Like I said, good scientists don't, it doesn't, there's no rules of science. Like this is what you can and can't study. It's a tool. It's, it's one way of knowing. Just like if you have experiences, that's one way of knowing. Science is one way of knowing. And so the university was like, yeah, if we had the space or if we had the position or, you know, and you could get your own grants, but we don't have any space. And like different departments were like sort of struggling to find me 
space and like no one like like I said, some of this was doors closing. So there was nowhere else to go. So my husband Mark Bakutzi and I started the Winbridge Institute. Um, at that time, this was 2008. And then in 2017, we did all kinds of research, mediumship being the, the primary piece, but all kinds of research. And uh, then in 2017, we moved all the mediumship and life after death research to a new nonprofit organization which called the Winbridge Research Center. And so that's where we are continuing to do this uh, research now. But when we started the Institute, like people came out of the woodwork to be on our scientific advisory board. Like, we know you do good work. We're really excited about this. Mm. And our first year out, we got a grant. Um, and so that like let us survive for two years. And then uh, we got that grant. Like every, It's a grant that comes out every two years. And so we got that grant regularly and that kept us alive. But it was always a struggle because most scientists uh most research happens through government funding national institutes of health um you know groups that study specific diseases like diabetes associations or heart disease associations that's who has the funding and none of those groups are funding life after death research or mediumship research wow. so there are the like there's this one grant we get from a group in portugal uh, but it's not enough to like, it's like enough to do the project, but it's not enough to keep us alive. So like for, we were trying to sell memberships and, um, yeah. and to keep us afloat. And so we're still in that position. And, uh, and, but now as a, as a 501 D3 charity, we can accept tax deductible donations. And so that's really changed um, the way it's really interesting the, the sort of the philosophy of what we do because we are now doing this back then we were doing the research in order to you know buy food and shelter and now we're doing it in order to serve people it's oh, a really a different yeah and it's yeah. really exciting and it's really interesting like okay we're going to make a thing and then we're going to give away for free so we, we mm-hmm. education like research is one arm of what we do and education is one arm so we're really uh, excited and pleased to be able to offer free educational materials on our website, uh, winbridge.org, so that we can offer what we learn through our research in a, in a manner in which uh, people who aren't scientists can, can have access to it. I, when yeah. I was in college, I, I worked as a tutor in the um, student learning center. And I tutored other students. And a lot of times people would say, why don't the professor just say it like that? And so I have a lot of experience like translating science into, it's called non-technical speak, um, so that people can understand. And, you know, I'm not perfect at it. It's very, like what we do is very complex and sometimes it, um, it's difficult to describe. Like the, yeah, the protocol that we yeah, some of your scientific papers they absolutely read like you know how to write in scientific lingo yet I yeah, do I like really how you do. translate <laughs> things um, and, and this is what we hope to do for the rest of the show here is talk about some of your findings and give people hope based on your scientific research but something that I'm curious about is where does the name Winbridge come from um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be totally transparent and honest Good. with you so Good. we named it Around the time, there was a show on the BBC 
called Torchwood. And my husband loved the show and felt like it's sort of a paranormal kind of investigation show. And he was like, he wanted to name it a name like Torchwood. And uh, so, so I was like, I do like that. I do like this like compound word. So I was like, well, what if we have a name where it embodied like the two pieces of what we do? So like the spirit, right? Which wind, uh, like spirit, you can't see, you can't hold you can't measure but it's very powerful wind is very powerful and then bridge which is a physical structure and a lot of like the metaphor of that what that's what the medium does is serve as a bridge right and so we were like oh look the url of windbridge the windbridge institute and now the windbridge research center that url is available so that's that um put it in concrete terms like okay well now we have to call that because the URL is available so we can make a website under that name sold. So yeah, that's how we, that's what, that's where the name comes from. All right. Well, in in case any of you just joined us, we've been talking with Dr. Julie Beischel, who is co-managing director and director of research for the Windbridge Research Center, which is all about investigating afterlife, the afterlife, death and dying mediums in is that the best way you would put it? That's what your research is focused on, Dr. Bison? Yeah. Yeah. My, I'm director of research at the Wimbridge Research Center, and my primary focus is on uh, mediums, people who experience communication with the deceased, and then sitters, the living people who get mediumship readings. That's our main focus. Okay. And we're actually the only research organization in the U.S. focusing on uh Mediumship and specifically our focus is on, um, we, we use the term secular American mediums. So hmm. versus like in, um, the, in the UK, oh, they yeah. do research with spiritualist mediums. Oh. And in Brazil, there's research being done with spiritist mediums. But in the U.S., it's, we've done the survey and it's 90% of mediums who we surveyed um, practicing in the U.S. Uh, considered themselves um, not associated with any organized uh, religion or yeah. belief system. So we use the term secular. And Perfect. so we're the only organization in the U.S. focusing on research of secular American mediums. So that's beautiful. I would fall in that category. And okay. so let me ask you, there's this whole spectrum from the outright <clears throat> closed-minded spec- skeptics who would say, like, your colleague said to you at first, this, it's all just, you know, they're frauds and they're out to, to get your money or whatever. And then there's this other end that says, oh, it's totally real. And then there are those that say, well, if you can find just one white crow among a whole bunch of black crows, in fact, it's William James that said that, mm-hmm. then, then it must be real. What has your research shown you as a scientist? What is your what do you say about mediums and mediumship? What are your findings? So the scientific method starts, the first step of the scientific method is make an observation. So the observation is there are people in the world who self-identify as mediums reporting information about the deceased to their living loved ones called sitters. And so that's observation. So then you, you design a hypothesis, you make a, a prediction a guess of like what is going on. So our hypothesis was 
mediums can report information about the disease under, under controlled laboratory conditions that eliminate other conventional explanations for where they could be getting their information. So the protocol eliminates um, all sort of sensory feedback, any feedback, any cueing um, between the experimenter and the medium, the sitter and the medium. And so the protocol eliminates these other things that it could be. And then mm -hmm. what you're left with is what we call anomalous information reception, AIR. So that, and I collected a bunch of data um, from mediums under these complex controlled conditions, and then uh, the, the accuracy of their statements was um, scored by the absent sitter. The sitter didn't hear the readings as they place. Uh, it's very complex, this protocol. Of all the people who have tried to um, summarize it, like scientists, journalists, anybody, no one's ever got it right. Uh, so I won't, it's so complex, I won't, like you just, I'm just going to try and uh, we'll do the like take home message here. So the, uh, the, what we found statistically was that mediums were able, certain mediums in our controlled uh, research were able to report accurate and specific information about specific deceased people compared to like what uh, they, sitters are given a target reading that was theirs and a control reading, which is called a decoy. They don't know which is which. And so mm. the target readings got higher scores than the decoy readings, statistically. It, it's, not, um, it's not like, oh, that's 100% and 0%. No, people are only so different. So about 30% of any mediumship reading will apply to somebody. Oh, good, um, you know, like you got a reading and I graded it, probably 30% of it would apply to me because people are only so different. That doesn't mean right. mediums are using like Barnum statements. Or, it just means people are only so different. And uh, so I published that while still at the university, those results. And then in science, it doesn't happen truly until it happens twice. So you have to mm -hmm. replicate it and show right. it, well, that wasn't a fluke. It happened over here too. So then the, the original study at the university was 16 readings. And then we published a replication and extension study at the, um, at the time we were still the Institute uh, at, let's say at Wimbridge and it was 58 additional readings. Wow. And, and also statistically significant results higher scores for target readings than for decoy readings. So all we can say with those data is mediums can is AIR. These data support the existence of AIR, anomalous information reception. Uh, mediums can report accurate and specific information about the deceased. But that's all you can say with accuracy data is about the deceased. And that is, uh, you know, they've been doing mediumship research since the 1880s, but by mm -hmm. the 1930s, it really stopped because they hit this wall of, well, we, ca we can't say where the information is coming from. We can just mm -hmm. say it's right, or it's, it's factual or not, but we can't say, we can't say they're talking to the dead. So people, it's, mediumship research sort of dried up and it didn't come back until the early 2000s. And, uh, and that is, that's a huge frustration in mediumship research because um, you can't, no matter what a medium says, you can, it, there are two main theories for where she could be getting the information. She's talking to the deceased or she's using some other form of 
psychic ability to get that information from living people, from um, documents, from, you know, mm-hmm. artifacts in your grandma's attic. I would use that example. Um, so you can, no matter what a medium says, it can always be either of those. They can either be, so people say, no, no, no. What about things that haven't happened yet? No, that's called precognition. That doesn't require a dead person. What mm-hmm. about things the person didn't know, but someone else did? That's called telepathy. That's not, that doesn't require a dead person. So there was, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wall that mediumship researchers run into. And back in the 1880s, the majority of mediums worked in a seance situation where they were in full trance. And so they had no like recollection of what happened during the reading. But in modern times, the medium is, at least in our research, uh, you know, mostly uh, waking consciousness, like just, you know, it's just a slightly altered state of consciousness, but generally just they're, they're there and they know the things that are happening and what, um, and they can report and you can question them on it. So it's a, it, it's a different situation. And now scientists can, uh, we can look at different aspects. I mean, they couldn't look at back then. So we can have meetings, fill out questionnaires and we can interview them and that sort of thing. And so that's where we went. We, you know, like everyone else, we ran into this wall of like, okay, well, we've demonstrated the accuracy of the information that they reported, but now we have these two um, alternate uh, alternative explanations. And right. so what we did was we went down a different road in, in our research. We have three major research programs um, and they, we call them information operation application. So information, we're looking at the accuracy of the information mediums report. And then operation is like, who is the medium? What's their personality and um, psychological factors? You know, uh, we published recently about their disease burden. Do they have more disease diseases than non-mediums so all of the things about the medium not necessarily about the communication about the medium and the and the, mm-hmm. uh, who the medium is and so when one of those pieces that we look at there is called phenomenology which is just the study of experiences mm-hmm. and so when you ask the mediums okay there are these two alternative hypotheses for what's happening either you're talking to a dead person or you're using psychic ability they go oh no no I know what psychic ability feels like, and this is totally different. Yeah. So we we did a study, it's a combo qualitative and quantitative study that was published um, a couple a year ago, I think. Uh, at the center, one of the things that we offer for free is a scientific journal, an open access, free scientific journal called Threshold. And so this paper is published in Threshold and totally available on the education uh, page on our winbridge.org website but it's a it's a huge paper in the huge state it is qualitative and quantitative so we use we had i think uh, about i have to yeah. interrupt you because we have to go to sure. break but this is great because okay. i'm really glad you went beyond that and i'm looking forward to when we get back talking about that you showed you're able to test is this more than just information so everybody come back in just a few minutes, we're going to continue with Dr. Beisel from the Windbridge Research Center. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. 
If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Ogan Holder, taken from a talk at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Vulnerability is very uncomfortable, but as we know from so many teachings by so many people and from our own experience, the only way we will ever experience true connection is to be vulnerable, to be open, and to say, but what we say to ourselves, but when we're vulnerable, we risk being hurt. Well, you only risk being hurt Again, if you don't get a full understanding of how love works, nothing and no one can hurt you. Nothing and no one is against you. And everything that happens in your life, as I always say, and I will always say, so if I keep saying it and you keep hearing it and you get tired of me hearing it, I apologize, but everything happens in our life as an opportunity for us to show up as God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Congratulations to Unity Books for winning honors as Best Small Press from the Nautilus Book Awards. Two books published by Unity are also winners of the prestigious Nautilus. Stations of the Cosmic Christ by Matthew Fox won a gold medal. And Andrew Harvey's book, Turn Me to Gold, won silver. The Nautilus Award celebrates books supporting spiritual growth and positive social change. Find these award-winning books at unity.org shop or on Amazon in print or ebooks. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. An evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Welcome back, everybody. We've been doing Research Center, and that's windbridge.org for more information and for all of their detailed reports and wonderful things they offer for free to those of us interested in mediumship research. So you were talking about how you kind of broke through this wall that researchers have found in the past where all they can show is that a medium is accessing information that someone could not possibly know, but I'm so curious to find out what you learned and how you learned that perhaps it's more than that, that they hopefully are talking to deceased people. 
So, yeah, the, um, historically, they, the mediums couldn't be questioned about it. Uh, but in modern times, uh, we can ask the mediums. And so we, um, we do what's called phenomenology research, the study of experiences. And so we did a, a, a combo qualitative and quantitative uh, study where we used um, text analysis software and we, uh, sorry, let me back up. Uh, we did an online survey of secular American mediums and we had about 120, 130 uh, self-identified mediums um, answer two questions, write out their, type out their answers to two questions. Um, describe as much detail as possible your experiences when communicating with the deceased and describe in as much detail as possible your experiences when uh, reporting psychic information about the living. And then we mm. used computer uh, text analysis software and we, we fed it all those people's answers. And it looked at the, the, the content of the text and for differences. And there were, um, there were uh, differences in the kinds of things people said when they talked about it. And then we also did uh, what's called content analysis, where a researcher um, trained in uh, such a procedure, not me, um, looks at, reads all those descriptions and finds common themes. And so we looked at the, you know, of course there's going to be similarities, which we did find, but there were differences um, that both the uh, computer software found and that the researcher doing content analysis found. And so like, for example, um, both are, what we call multimodal sensory experiences. So you, there's different modes of experience. So you're seeing things and hearing things um, and feeling things. But mm -hmm. in uh, the in when communicating with a deceased person, it's it's it also includes um, the sense of tasting things, um, which right the deceased person is trying to get the medium to talk about their favorite foods. The medium will actually experience tasting that kind of food. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen in a psychic reading for the living like a a psychic doesn't regularly say this is what you had for lunch living person sitting in front of me <laughs> um that so that's not a kind of information that comes through and uh so there there are these differences that um that the medium phenomenologically experiences uh that differentiates between the, those two explanations for where their information is coming from and so that's a that's a step that has never been able to be taken before because no one was able to or had the uh, inclination to do this, to ask the mediums, hmm. um, you know, what their experiences were. And so that's really interested in that. And so that's what we did. And so that was just one question, two questions in a huge online survey project that we did. Like for initially, we uh, looked at, comparing mediums and non-mediums um, and looked at all kinds of things, psychology, basic demographic things, um, education, income, gender, race. Uh, and then we looked at uh, psychology, personality, um, and all those kinds of things. And we just published a study uh, recently as well where we had asked about disease burden. So we asked people, have you ever been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease? You know, check which ones apply. And then 
the, the median population was statistically significantly higher. They reported more autoimmune diseases than the non-medians. And they had a huge list of just sort of disease symptoms in the different organ systems, you know, heart, lungs, gut, muscles. And same thing, more mediums reported those, uh, a higher disease burden, more symptoms than did the non-mediums, who were otherwise statistically identical. 90% women, uh, white women over 40. So the only difference really demographically, or they were demographically identical. The only real difference was that the one group was mediums and the one, the other group was not mediums. Um, yeah. Well, well, let me ask you, based on all your research then, though, are you, you as a person and not a scientist, where are you in your belief about mediums and what they're doing? And does that people color always, your... <laughs> people always ask that. And like, I have to say, I cannot separate my yes. science from my person. And it is not my job to believe. And so it's really irrelevant what I believe. I understand that that would be like comforting or whatever if I was to say, like, I am a trained scientist and I have looked at all the data and definitely this, I believe this is what's happening, but I can't say that. That's not my job. What can you say as a scientist? I love that, that as you're a, not going to. So as a scientist, what do you, what have you found? What does that's that do? good. So. Okay. Right. What I can say is the, the body of data, the conclusion that makes the most sense is that the mediums are communicating with the deceased. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> I know that's what's happening with me. I was going to say when, when you're talking about information and you talk about, well, things that haven't happened yet, that's precognition. And then you, you mentioned this, you know, things that they don't know about, that's telepathy. But I have had so many examples of the creativity of those across the veil that are showing actual communication. Like you, like talk, like you and I are talking and we say clever things. So, um, wow. Yeah. And there's like a sense of humor. Right, yeah. and that, those kind, of, and those are those things are kind of hard to capture with the tools that we have, like that um, text analysis software that I mentioned. That's not what its job is. It doesn't, it doesn't know. It's its job to write that software to differentiate mediumship and psychic readings. It's just a tool that we use to try and get you know more information about that. There's a lot of um, questionnaires and things that we can use, but they're not. They never sort of get to the nitty gritty of it and those kind of things sense of humor um things that surprise the medium right um uh, that wouldn't happen if you, we talk about the difference between um retrieve and receive so in a psychic reading you might be like actively retrieving information whereas mm -hmm. in a in a mediumship reading it's re it's re received you are receiving that's what we call anomalous information reception because you're receiving communication you're not actively listening. You're not actively speaking. Um, and so that's, it's a, that's a, but it is nuanced. So well, it's there actually, are, it, makes, it makes a huge difference in what happens in a reading if you try to actively retrieve, you don't get a good connection, in my experience. Just, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> you're not supposed to because you're yeah but i am curious have you tried to connect with the deceased personally i have not um and and there's there's two 
precise to that coin. So transferring the psychologist Charles Tart uh, wrote back in the 70s, wrote a paper and talked about state-specific sciences. So he like did a lot of research with um, marijuana intoxication. So he wrote about state-specific sciences. So how can you study intoxication if you yourself have never been intoxicated? Um, and so how can... Like, so there's that piece of it. Like, how can I really understand mediumship if I never try to receive that communication? And like anyone, you know, anyone has the capacity to receive communication. And I have, I've, re- I've had spontaneous, what's called spontaneous after communication yeah. experiences. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I haven't tried to do what we, we refer to mediumship as assisted after communication experiences. Mm-hmm. I wrote a paper uh, that just came out a couple months, a few months ago, uh, and it was about the, the four types of after communication. So those are two, spontaneous and then mediumship is assisted. Right? So the sitter is having an after communication experience, but, but it needs the assistance of the medium. So you call that assisted after the communication experience. Right. Anyway, uh, as usual, I'm off on like 27 tangents. So that's one side of the coin is that I might be able to understand it better in a state-specific sciences kind of way. But the other side of that coin is it might, that might bias me when I'm trying to study study it. Like if, I, if they're, they're saying, well, this is what happens to me, I could be like, oh, that never happens to me. Right? It really could produce bias. So I haven't, I'm not naturally good at it, so I haven't tried to push it. Um, so that's where I am right now. I don't, I have, I don't, I don't have strong beliefs about either sides of those points, but that's where I am right now. I'm not, I'm not trying. I got, I've never, I don't get readings either. I had that one initial reading uh, that introduced me to this topic, uh, and that was it. I don't, I don't get any, I don't get readings regularly. All right. Well, I see that the mission of the Windbridge Research Center, written on your website, is to ease suffering around dying death and what comes next through your rigorous scientific research. And I love that. But it must be a fine line to walk between between wanting so much to show people, give them hope, and then saying, but we have to be scientific about this. Do you have feedback that you are achieving your mission, that, that what you are doing is helping people? Yeah, like when we, we send out monthly emails, um, and I encourage people to sign up for our uh, emails, we just send out one email once a month. And uh, we do receive feedback from people saying, you know, and I've heard this, like when I am in the world speaking at conferences or things, where people have come up to me and said, like, I was really at my wit's end over this loss of a loved one, and, and that you were looking at it scientifically and showing demonstrating that there was something to this like really gave me solace and hope and like oh that's so encouraging because this is this is not easy work it's so controversial there's no funding and so to hear stories like that really keeps me going um that that we are able to achieve our mission to alleviate suffering um around dying death and what comes next uh, because Excellent. there's, we're not learning this, right? Like, there are, you know, how there are like dolls and toys of like all, there's like all the professions, like a plumber doll and a doctor doll and whatever. there's no medium doll. Like nobody's <laughs> teaching us this, like coming up in the world that like, this is a thing that some people do. And so it's, I think, I think the biggest 
uh, issue is that people have these assumptions about what mediumship is and how it works, and it they're just it's they're, the assumptions like most assumptions are wrong, and so it it sort of ruins the mediumship process for everybody involved because there are three people involved in the mediumship reading and the medium is just one of them. Like the sitter has to be a good sitter, the deceased person has to be a good deceased person. And only if all of those people are able to function in the situation does it does it really work. And so well, that's I love part of the thing. Hearing you say that because <laughs> that is so true. It's what I teach. Three all three are so important to that connection, the sitter, the medium and the person in the spirit world. So, so how we try and, we, yeah. we try we try and publish we have like uh we do a lot of fact sheets and so we have like a fact sheet about what you should keep in mind as the sitter. So we're trying to educate sitters of how to do their part um in in their you know, they're one of the three parts. Like do Let's their go part there. in making Let's go there right now. Dr. Beisel, um, we have lots of time here, and I know people listening are saying, oh, I've had a reading, or I'm going to have a reading. So what, can you just summarize the top things a person can do to be a good sitter during a reading with a medium? So I think the first thing is, like, go in with the appropriate expectation. So we get a lot of, um, we've been more so, these have been more and more frequent. We get emails from people, like, I got a reading from one of the mediums on your team and it like I needed her to prove that my father was still around and like she didn't do that. Like a medium is not there for your to prove anything to you. She's like a translator. And so if you're the person who wants to talk to you, she's gonna try and translate, but she can't control who comes through, what they say, um, if you know, n- not everybody is a good communicator, even in the earth, you know, even alive. Like we can't assume that everybody is going to be good on the other side. So that's not the medium's fault. So just have the right expectation. She's not there to prove anything to you. Um, she's just going to have this experience, and then she's going to tell you her experience. And then that's between you and your deceased person. And if you think it's so easy what she does, why don't you go and do it yourself? And, you know, people are like, oh, she didn't do exactly what I wanted. Well, it's not easy. They're not on the phone with the deceased person, it's a specific perception um, that they happen to be talented at. And it, you know, it's a, it often requires a lot of uh, experience, a lot of years of practice. And people need, so that's, a, that's a, the, be, the most primary thing, is have the right expectations. And in, in that, don't expect anything. Expect that the medium is just a translator, and she's going to try and communicate what she is experiencing, but that's all she can do. And the other piece is, um, I think that's really important, is don't give the medium more information than she needs. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, and we, you know, we train people in our research, we train research sitters, okay, don't, most of our research is, is totally blinded and the sitter and the medium never interact, but uh, there are pieces where we want to look at something specific and the, and the we put the medium on a three-way call with the sitter, and so the sitter can hear the medium. And then, at the you know, we the, the least controlled, we say, okay, you can. The medium can ask the sitter a yes or no question. So we say, okay, you can only say yes, no, maybe, yes. sort of, or I don't know. That's it. And that's yep. 
and that's it. But then the medium say like, okay, well, there's this, and they'll go, well, that's my daddy. He was in the army, and what? Like they just like it's no one. It's not socially acceptable for you to talk about someone that you were close to that has died after like the first month. People are like, okay, that's enough of you. And so this is the first time there's someone who is letting you think and talk about your deceased people, and people get overexcited, and and it's difficult to hold that stuff in. Um, and so that's something to be cautious about your own, cause it like, not only is it that steal, like if you give the medium information, then it sort of steals that from her that she can't give it to you now. Mm-hmm. And if that was something important that the deceased person wanted to share now, he can't because that you just threw it up on the medium. Um, so that, you know, so we, that's, we train our research sitters, um, that to just respond yes, no, maybe sort of, or I don't know. Yeah, and then and that's it. Also, allows the medium to hold a more clear link with those across the veil because they're not being interrupted by the sitter and don't have to respond to that. They could just report what they're getting, like you said, like the translator. Beautiful. Yeah, and like the you know where they're human, they're still humans. They still have a human brain, and the job of the brain is to make assessments. So that I think that's why. Um, in I I recommend not in-person readings. I know um, there are issues uh, phenomenologically uh, experience-wise that the medium can experience connection with the sitter, but scientifically speaking, um, the medium's brain is going to want to make assessments about the sitter if she can see the sitter. Mm-hmm. And so that, like that, her, her analytical brain can get in the way of her intuitive process. And so we, you know, if, if you could be and that's why I think sometimes media close their eyes so they can block out that sort of analytical tasks that yeah. the brain wants to do. Yeah, I don't want feedback. I don't want, want people to say, oh, you were reading my body language. I don't even look at my sitters once I get going. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. It makes sense. So we have a fact sheet with more um, detailed hints, do's and don'ts of um, how to how to make the most of the of your mediumship ring which as the sitter like you're playing a big role so you you have tasks to do and so we have these do's and don'ts wonderful so you know i read about consciousness all the time i do believe that more scientists are coming to believe consciousness is the ground of all reality are you seeing more open-mindedness as younger scientists are coming in maybe a new generation that's that's not just passing along what's always been believed i hope so um i don't have access to that like i'm not in a university setting so i don't have i don't run into like students in my you know in uh-huh. my job so uh-huh. i don't i hope that's the case and i think uh, little pieces that i've come across like i have a, a friend who's a physician and he was telling me a story about like his little nephew was telling him like, Oh, I forgot my math book. And I was like sending it to my mom telepathically. And she just wasn't hearing me. It just mm-hmm. took her forever to bring me my math book. Like they're coming up knowing that that's, Possibly. that those are realities. Cause that's experiences that they're having and nobody's knocking it down. Yeah. Like people have historically. So I think the times are changing because people aren't people like think about how many more people have heard of a medium 
than when I had not heard of a medium and got started in all of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, like, it's just, it's just more, um, cause in the pop culture, it's just more prevalent in society. So people have at least heard of these things. And, you know, when I talk about what I do, sometimes I will start with, well, you know how a mom can know her kid got in a car accident all the way across the country. And most people go, yeah, yeah. And then you go, well, how can that be? But they totally are like, yeah, of course that happens. And they go, well, how can that be? Oh, because consciousness is not local. You know, that's the explanation mm-hmm. for how can mm-hmm. all this be? Oh, because consciousness is not created by the brain. It exists separately from the brain. And it is only funneled or channeled, filtered by the brain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like this, that's how all these things can be true. Like, because that's how consciousness works. It's mm-hmm. not that the brain creates consciousness. And just like, um, you know, if you damaged a, if you damage a TV, the picture will look funky. If you damage the brain, the consciousness will come in funky. But that doesn't mean that the brain was creating it, just like the TV isn't creating the signal. Right. The right. signal originates elsewhere, and the brain and the TV are just channeling them, just uh, mediating them. And, and so that's the it, bottom line, isn't it, Dr. Bice? I mean, that's what you are looking, that hypothesis, to, to show that without a brain, that that consciousness still exists and we can communicate with it. Yeah, and there's, like, you know, asked me before, like, how, what you believe, like, how would you, how, as a scientist, how would you say, I would say the data show from various fields, not just mediumship, but near-death experiences, um, children who report past lives, out-of-body experiences, those things together demonstrate that consciousness is what we call non-local. It is not localized to the brain. And therefore, it can exist after the death of the brain. Exactly. That's what the data shows. That's where the data points. And I love that you have some testimonials at winbridge.org that from very noted researchers like Dr. Dean Radin, who says, here's a quote, Beichel's team has taken on the challenge in a serious and rigorous way, and the results of their efforts are intriguing. I love that all of the testimonials speak to your scientific rigor and the unique modalities that you're using. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. So what what new projects do you have in the works? Um, Well, I I talked about we did that uh, survey study where we asked we had mediums and non-mediums fill out all these questionnaires and we're still going through all that data. So right now I'm writing like five different papers, journal articles. And then once those get published, then I will translate those into human speak and we'll publish mm-hmm. fact sheets, free fact sheets on our website. And so if people join our email list, then they can be notified when things, when these papers are published and when these fact sheets are available. Um, and when, uh, the other thing on the email list is that you, that's where we notify people if we have new, um, participation in research opportunities. Um, if, you know, we, we're doing events in your area, that sort of thing. So I, I highly Great. recommend people, um, join our email list. Like you can find us on social media, but you know, those systems don't show everything to everyone. But if you get an email, you know that we that we're giving you everything straight to you that you needed to hear this month. Very cool. 
So we have just a minute and a half left in the show. I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. As a medium, oh, I can I can tell you that when I crank up the love and when I have a real strong loving connection with my sitter's heart, we get even better results. Have you done any research into the difference that love makes? And perhaps would you consider that? That's really interesting. Yeah, we did a study. These these results haven't been published. I, I presented them at a conference, but they haven't been published. But we gave um, mediums. We gave mediums. One minute names. to summarize. <laughs> All right. Uh, some people, some names were living, some were dead. And when they read for the dead names, they experienced more love as, as gauged by a questionnaire that they filled out after they were done. Again, they didn't know what the names they didn't know anything about the names. So when they talked to dead people, objectively, they experienced more love than when they did psychic readings for the living. Blind wow. to which was which. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool research. A cool little yeah. data point there. Love it. I love it. Well, I love that you went in as a skeptic to your reading and you had a good reading because skepticism can get in the way. But look at what beautiful things it it led you to do. Dr. Bissell, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us and really encourage everybody to sign up for the email list from winbridge.org. Help to further their research because you're really doing good stuff. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. It's a pleasure. And anything that we can do to bring more credibility to what I know is real is well worth the effort. So thank you, everybody. And we'll see you back here next week. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.